Blog Talk Radio. up everybody welcome to the show today it is a lovely day outside here in new york if i don't say so myself i know that people around the country are not necessarily experiencing the same situation um some pretty bad storms going through texas or soon to be going through texas um a lot of stuff to get to in the show today i, I gotta be honest with you i'm forcing myself to do this show i'm forcing myself to do it because last night i uh woke up at 3.30 and randomly started projectile vomiting. <laughs> so forgive me if the show is not perhaps as high energy as you'd like it to be. Um, it's not as high energy as I'd like it to be either, but, you know, I don't know what triggered the random vomiting, maybe some food poisoning. Um, but, yeah, currently dealing with that at the moment, so bear with me. I'm going to try to get through all the stories that I could get through and also get through them, you know, relatively quickly because, like I said, Hurting today, dog. Hurting today. All right. So um, we're going to talk about the Biden administration and what they did in terms of pot. Uh, there's a lot to say there. They uh, decided to go peak 1980s drug war hysteria. I have the Iran story that blew up about how they allegedly wanted to do some sort of attack in Washington, D.C. Hilarious. Um, Trump wants to start his own social media. We have... Um, Brian Williams rushigating harder than anybody has ever rushigated in human history. We have MSNBC war propaganda, a lot of stuff to get to today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Here we go. We're going to do that with the Biden administration. So this story blew up a few days ago. Uh, apparently, the Biden administration is really being hard on their staffers, and he's doing some peak 1980s drug war hysteria nonsense. 
take a look at this from the AP. They say, five White House staffers have been fired because of their past use of drugs, including marijuana, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Friday. Marijuana has become a delicate issue for President Joe Biden's administration because 15 states in Washington, D.C. allow for recreational usage, despite a federal prohibition. The administration has tried not to automatically penalize potential staffers for legal behavior in their communities by developing a more flexible policy, Saki said in a statement to the Associated Press. Quote, in an effort to ensure that more people have an opportunity to serve the public, we worked in coordination with the security service to ensure that more people will have the opportunity to serve than would not have in the past with the same level of recent drug use, Saki said. While we will not get into individual cases, there were additional factors at play in many instances for the small number of individuals who were terminated. The Daily Beast website first reported the firings Thursday night. Okay, so um, the thing that they're alluding to at the end there is that um, they think the five staffers who were fired not only used marijuana but also used some harder drugs. Again, they don't get into specifics as to what those harder drugs are. But listen, the takeaway is the same either way. Um, I don't care if you fired them for just marijuana use or if you fired them for marijuana use and some other drug use. I still think it's wrong. I still think it's messed up. I still think it's crazy. The point that everybody's making, and of course they're 100% right to say this, is Kamala Harris admitted on one of the most popular radio shows in the country that uh, she smoked weed. You know, so... what are you going to do? You're going to fire your VP? Uh, he can't, by the way, but why did you pick her in the first place? They knew. They knew that she used marijuana. He didn't care because he viewed it as politically advantageous. But now that he's in power, eh, who cares? Ruin a few lives of people who are doing something that is illegal in Washington, D.C. It's illegal, and they're still firing him. I'm telling you, man, he is from a previous era. The other point people make is uh, in regards to Hunter Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden has had, you know, an endless laundry list of drug use and addiction problems. And that's not me saying that to put him down or besmirch him or, you know, take some sort of shot at him. In fact, I agree with Joe Biden's approach to Hunter Biden, where he had nothing but endless compassion. I remember the story that blew up during the election where, you know, he said, I love you, my dear son. You don't disappoint me. Something along those lines. Something that was very sweet for a father to say to his son when the son is basically repeatedly fucking up and, Joe Biden was right there, hand outstretched, willing to give endless amounts of sympathy, endless second tries, third tries, fourth tries. Um, and listen, again, that's the way it should be. But that same, that same outreach and that same mindset that you have for members of your own family, it should be the same for everybody. That shouldn't be viewed as special treatment, you know? Listen, on the one hand, drug use is just a freedom issue. You should be able to put in your body whatever you want to put in your body as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And uh, on the other hand, it's a, an issue of if you have a real addiction problem, get rehab. But certainly at the end of the day, it shouldn't be a criminal issue, and you definitely shouldn't lose your job, lose your livelihood as a result of doing things that probably the majority of the American population has done. So, I mean, this gets to the heart of, of the Biden administration. It's very... This is incredibly hypocritical, and this is incredibly in a previous era and generation. And so you got to stop with the nonsense, man. Not only should you bring these people back, you should pay them a bonus for the trouble and for everything that they went through. Um, And beyond that, you should legalize tax and regulate drugs at a federal level. 
by the way, you want to build a legacy? This is how you build a legacy. You do something like that. You actually think in a bold way. You actually think in a forward-thinking way. You do the thing that the polls show the American people want, because this is supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy, but we seem to have forgotten the representative democracy part. Because it's damn near 70% of the country that wants marijuana legalized at a federal level. And instead, it's not legalized at a federal level, even though Biden could do it right now if he wanted to. Right now. It's not legalized at a federal level, and he's firing people in his administration who smoked weed. And then they, they pawned off to like, oh, there were bad processes and procedures that were in place, and it wasn't really us. It was, it was the security apparatus. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. These people didn't have to get fired if you didn't sign off on that policy. The buck stops with him. He's the president. So unacceptable. Their cover-up is even more pathetic, and uh, this should be reversed immediately. Okay, next. So a few days ago, I saw the headlines. Instantly, I smiled, but the smile lasted about three seconds because, as per usual, the headlines are incredibly misleading on this issue. So you can see here, this is from Forbes magazine. They say, President Joe Biden just canceled $1 billion of student loans, and this is how America has reacted. And you see the smiley picture of him there, like, ah, look at this guy, good old Uncle Joe doing right by the American people. Isn't that amazing? And virtually all the headlines are to this effect, talking about like, oh, look, see, he's canceling student debt. Stupid lefties, you were wrong about him. Well, look at this chart. This is what $1 billion of student loan debt cancellation looks like. This isn't a joke. That's a real chart. That's what $1 billion of student loan debt cancellation looks like. The remaining debt is $1.69 trillion, son, trillion with a T. So do you see how this is really a slap in the face? Because that's what it is. It's a slap in the face. By the way, the total number is 72,000 people are getting student loan debt relief. And the people who are getting the student loan debt relief, according to, I think it was the article in Forbes, it's people who were just outright scammed by for-profit colleges, you know, ones that were basically shut down for scammy practices. So those are the only people who are getting their student loan debt canceled with this move from Biden. It's, it, the total is less than 1% of the student loan debt is being canceled. I mean, how do you even respond to it? Listen, to everybody in the media out there, I know they love Biden, and so they view their job as like half defending him. Um, A more accurate headline on this front would be, Joe Biden cancels less than 1% of student loan debt and slap in the face to the American people, or in slap in the face to students. That would be the appropriate thing to say, because he has the ability to cancel all of it if he wanted to. He absolutely does or at least all of it held by the federal government, and there's a lot of it held by the federal government. So, I mean, listen, the main takeaway here is this is what we've been dealing with when it comes to the Biden administration. You'll always read a headline, and the headline will be something positive. And you're like, oh, my God, that's great. Look at that. The best example is um, when Biden was shutting down private prisons that the Department of Homeland Security uses. You read that headline, you're like, oh, shit, he's banning private prisons. Some of them are... You know, some of them are just flat out misleading, where they say he's doing X, and then you read beyond the headline, and it's just not that. Some of them are truthful, but still misleading. You see what I mean? Like when you say, oh, he's banning private prison use for the Department of Homeland Security, 
people think that's more expensive than it is. When you look, you look deeper in the article, you find out very quickly that he's keeping all, for example, the ICE private prisons and over 60% of the facilities that ICE uses are private prisons. And so it's always like the tiniest percentage of change and the headlines make it seem like it's this grandiose change and it's total bullshit. And it all goes back to this narrative that the media has crafted of Joe Biden as, uh, you know, the next FDR, this uh, transformational figure. And the reality of him is he's banal. He's a banal neoliberal corporate centrist. And he does stuff like this. I canceled less than 1% of student loan debt. Aren't I hero? No, you're not. And it would really be great if the media would actually do their job and hold the powerful to account. You know, they're supposed to look at people who have money, power, influence, and be a watchdog of them. You know, be the voice of the people, be truth tellers, be crusaders against corruption and things of that nature. Instead, we get a media that's the lapdog of the powerful and, you know, they basically half the time are doing puff pieces on Joe Biden and misleading you about what he's actually doing. So it's actually incredibly nefarious, in my opinion, with the headlines versus the reality, because they mislead people into thinking things are better than they are. You know, in the same way that when you look at the uh, COVID relief bill, there are many provisions of it that are wonderful, but really they campaigned and promised $2,000 checks and $15 minimum wage. Those two main things were out of the bill, but the media kept doing their relentless propaganda on his behalf. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why people are turned off to politics, because everybody appears to be colossally dishonest, and they're not giving you the straight dope. And, it, you know, it pains me that I have to be the one to come out here, idiot YouTuber with a loud mouth, to say, hey, here's the reality of what's happening. And then, by the way, some people have this weird Stockholm Syndrome thing. Well, they'll get mad at me for pointing this out. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, what, what am I supposed to do? The numbers are what they are. He canceled less than 1% of student loan debt. You want me to lie to you and say that's not the case? That would be a lie. I don't want to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. You can interpret that however you want. If you want to play defense all day long for a Democrat, rah-rah team, be my guest. But at the end of the day, I think that's kind of silly. And this is unacceptable. He should have canceled way more than this. Next. Oh, God, we're talking about Trump again. Here we go. Breaking 911. They say Trump returning to social media in two to three months with his own platform that will completely redefine the game, advisor Jason Miller says. Completely redefine the game. Two to three months, his own platform. Who are we kidding? This thing has got to be similar to Twitter because that's the one that he loves. That's the one he stays up at night and thinks about. I think there's an argument that he cares more about being kicked off Twitter than he does losing the presidency. I mean, it's close, but I think Twitter probably take the cake there because he can't go out there and just brain fart to everybody anymore. You know, it's a lot more difficult. He has to release a fake official statement and, you know, that's only some media outlets pick it up and run with it. So um, this is too perfect for the post-Trump era. The other update I have for you, I just heard right before I came on air, apparently President Trump has announced that he's going to do podcasts now. Um, for those of you who don't know, what that means is he's going to do the podcast circuit. He's going to go on, you know, outlets that'll have him and that are sympathetic to him. Um, but it does, you know, I would guess that at some point in the near future, he'll launch his own podcast because that's the exact trajectory that he's on. Um, but there you go. In in some ways, this is actually reassuring because it's more of what I would expect from the 
post-Trump political era. You know, the thing that's terrifying is the idea that he might get back in the game. The thing that's terrifying is that in 2024 he might run. Now, that's still the case for sure, but at least hearing this, it makes the world make a little bit more sense where if he were to, you know, in in a couple years say, no, I'm actually not going to run for president in 2024, it would add up. Because, you know, he's got all these other things that he's, uh, all these other irons on the fire that he's currently working on. And I'd rather have him make a terrible social media platform, um, Trump Twitter. I'd rather have him make that, and I'd rather have him do podcasts than, uh, you know, be the most powerful person on the earth again. And guess what? If he were to run again, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned that he could win. Of course he could win. You know, especially if we're looking at the heir apparent being Kamala Harris to the Joe Biden throne when she had to drop out before Iowa in the Democratic primary because she's deeply unpopular and the people aren't buying her bullshit. Corporate media is buying her bullshit and they love her. The people don't love her. So if you have her running against Trump, Trump, for all of his flaws, has more of a support base than Kamala Harris does. And so we might be looking at a 2024 race between Trump and Kamala Harris. And boy, oh boy, would that be a nail biter. I bet. I'll leave it at that, but, you know, hopefully we don't have to revisit this in the future. But there you have it. President Trump returning to social media in two to three months. Um, his own platform, probably Trump's version of Twitter. And I don't know. We'll see how it does. What do you guys think? Do you guys think it's going to blow up and, and be one of the top performing um, social media outlets? I'd say no, just because Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are they're so far ahead of everybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to catch up to them because they've just spread like wildfire. I think Trump will have his niche audience, but the niche audience is the hardcore conservatives. And there's a lot of them, but not nearly as much as the number of people who are on Facebook and Twitter and things of that nature. So anyway, there you have it. This is what the big man is up to. All right, guys, let me take a quick break. If you're just joining me now, let me remind you, uh, I'm a little under the weather today, a little sick, randomly woke up and threw up in the middle of the night. Not pleasant. Uh, Still feeling a little bit under the weather. So today's show is probably going to be shorter than usual, and I'm going to take a quick little break now. When we come back, we still have a bunch more stuff to get to. Stay right there.
All right, y'all. I'm back. Don't know how long I'll be back for. Still feeling under the weather quite a bit. All right. Um, let's talk about the Iran story. Here we go. Nothing like a bullshit propaganda story to get the day started. So here we go. This is in the Hill, uh, originally in the AP. This is about um, an attack that Iran was going to have against the United States. They say Iran reportedly threatened to attack Fort McNair in Washington, D.C., as well as the Army's vice chief of staff, according to a report from the Associated Press published on Sunday, citing two unidentified senior U.S. officials. The AP reports that communications intercepted by the National Security Agency show that Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps discussed carrying out a USS Cole-style attack on Fort McNair in January, referencing the 2000 suicide attack against the U.S. Navy-guided missile destroyer in Yemen's Aden Harbor that left 17 sailors dead. The IRGC communications also revealed threats to kill General Joseph M. Martin, the AP reported, who lives at Fort McNair. According to the AP, the threats are behind the Army's recent push for heightened security around Fort McNair, which would include adding a buffer zone of 250 to 500 feet from the Washington Channel. Leaders in the nation's capital have spoken out against the proposed changes. The news service notes as they would reduce the access to the waterway, which runs parallel to the Potomac River. The Pentagon and the NSA declined to comment when reached by the Hill. Okay, so when you get into the specifics, you find out that they wanted to expand this base for a really long time. They wanted to do the changes that they're now proposing for a while. And local officials are like, this is mighty convenient. You've come up with a justification and a rationalization that seems to be above reproach, where if we disagree with you, we look like we're unpatriotic. Hmm, strange. Now they reference um, you know, the USS Cole attack And they say, this happened in a harbor in Yemen. That is categorically different than something happening in the United States of America. If you truly believe that Iran would launch an attack against the U.S. Capitol, I have a bridge to sell you. I have a bridge to sell you. Because they have a military budget that's about 37 cents and a Pop-Tart. That's how big their military budget is. And our military budget is bigger than the next 10 or 12 biggest nations combined. And most of them, by the way, are our allies. They simply don't have the capability to pull this off. And they also aren't dumb enough to try this, to actually do this, because they know the consequences. They know that the U.S. is just looking for an excuse, and Israel is just looking for an excuse for all-out war. And the neocons are in control and have been in control for a long time now. So, I mean, it's kind of amazing how extreme the propaganda is, you know. And what comes to mind is Saddam Hussein with weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That's what comes to mind. It was actually, I believe it was on the anniversary of that, that this story came out. It just had coincidence happened to be the case. But, I mean, that's how you need to approach all these situations. Assume the intelligence community is lying for their own nefarious purposes until proven otherwise. And the burden is on them. They need to present evidence. They need to be the ones to show, hey, here's how we know that this is the case. 
here's the proof. They're not presenting any proof. And usually what they do is they act like, this stuff is top secret and classified, but take our word for it, or it's an unidentified source. Why would I take your word for it? Why would I take your word for it? You guys were wrong about Iraq. You guys were wrong about Syria. You guys lie all the time about North Korea and act like they're the offensive threat against us, even though they're one of the most colossally impoverished countries on the planet. The idea that they're going to launch an attack against us when they know that that would spell doom for them, again, absurd. So really, I mean, the fact of the matter is we're the bully. We're the bully internationally. That's what we are. And um, you need to invent issues to then justify your continued bullying, your continued aggression, your continued offense, your continued imperialism. But really, in this case, there's that added factor, too, of the base has been wanting to make these changes and expand, and local officials have said, no, we're not going to do that. And so here we are. They came up with a reason to be like, ah, see, now you can't disagree. We have to expand the base. What are you going to do? What, you want to protect us from Iran or not? You, I guess you're on the side of Iran. I guess you're unpatriotic. I guess you hate America. I guess you're on the side of them in a potential war. <sighs> Ridiculous. So anyway, this is beyond silly. I don't buy it for a second. And it's kind of scary to me that anybody is naive enough to look at this and think, yeah, that seems plausible. All right, let's talk about Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo is back in the news. There's a scandal roughly every three days now involving Andrew Cuomo. Here's the new one. This is him talking to a member or one of the leaders of the Working Families Party. I'll tell you more about them when we come back. And uh, he's looking for their endorsement. They're a party that's to the left of the Democrats, generally speaking. Look at this back and forth. Look at the tactics he uses, and look at the kind of guy he is. And you're going to say, well, he's better than a Republican again. I'm going to say you're better than a child rapist. How about that? Governor, I want to I apologize, but i got to clarify one thing. You're free to say whatever you want, Governor, um, uh, but, but I just, I just like want to be clear. Our line is going to be that we have differences with you. But our differences with Republicans are far greater. I think you're better than child Now, conservatives are flipping out about this because they're saying you're comparing us to child rapists. I mean, I guess, but it's an analogy, so he's not really saying that they're like child rapists. He's just saying, here's one bad thing that I, who I don't agree with. Here's another bad thing that nobody agrees with, and there's an extreme version of that. It's very, very hyperbolic, very over the top. So I, that's not the part that is upsetting to me. I think that people are being a little too sensitive about that angle of it. The thing that's astonishing to me is he feels entitled to unconditional fawning support. He feels entitled to have the Working Families Party basically have no reservations about supporting him. Now, listen, the Working Families Party, they are a party that's to the left of the Democrats. They often endorse Democrats, but they're to the left of the Democrats. And in 2016, they endorsed Bernie Sanders. I think in 2020, they endorsed Elizabeth Warren. There was a big scandal over that because, like, membership wanted Bernie, leadership wanted Warren, and they went with Warren. Anyway, it's a mess. But still, even though they're, they have giant issues and they're not the best, they're still to the left of the Democrats to some extent. And so, you know, there's many things they could point to about Cuomo. This is back in 2018 that they don't like. In fact, I think by that point, he already had the corruption commission that he 
started, and then the commission started looking into him and his cronies, and then he shut the whole thing down. Yeah, when the Working Families Party sees something like that, they're not just going to unconditionally support you and act like you're better than you are. But look at him. This is how, this is how he approaches politics. He feels entitled to that unconditional support. He feels entitled to that adoration and that love. And he's unwilling to even accept just like, yeah, he's better than the Republicans. That says so much about Andrew Cuomo and his ego. And, I mean, listen, that really puts in perspective the other big story we learned, which is that his advisors were telling him a million times over, hey, man, you have to do X, Y, and Z in regards to COVID. And he would disagree with them. And then at some point he fired a bunch of his, you know, scientific advisors. He was like, I disagree and I know better than they do. It's a guy like this who would do something like that. And it's arrogance and bluster that has incredibly negative consequences. And they're manifesting in the real world. And, of course, the worst example is sending people back to uh, nursing homes when they're COVID positive, which led to a giant increase in numbers of dead folks and, you know, then they hid that number, too. They tried to cover that number up, and it was nefarious. So anyway, that's Andrew Cuomo. Not that you needed any more reason to see how terrible he is. Okay. Guys, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to call the show now because I'm still, I'm still really sick, and I'm, I'm uh, biting off the vomiting reflex. So anyway, I, at some other time, I'll find, uh, you know, in the near future when I start feeling better, I'll do more of these stories. I have a full show prepped for you, but I just can't get through it at the moment. You could probably tell I'm under the weather by my tone of voice and whatnot and my energy level. But um, so I'm going to call the show now. I'll try to get through these stories whenever I can, whenever I'm feeling better. Um, Sorry to do this. I've literally never done this since the beginning of Secular Talk in 2012, but really the mistake was even trying to do the show today, I think. So anyway, all right. Love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.